invite you to turn to the book of John, John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 18 verses, John 1, 1 through 18, which is the prologue for the book of John. Uh, Do you see my password up there? So, um, well, the question I want to ask you is, are you ready for Christmas? How many of you have been asked this question by someone? Do you know it's kind of cultural? Are you ready for Christmas? Have you been asked that? Anybody asked you that? What do people mean by that? When you hear, are you ready for Christmas? What do they mean by that? I know there's a spectrum. What are some of the things? Give me some feedback here. What do people mean when they say, are you ready for Christmas? Have you got your shopping done? Okay, you've got your gifts purchased. How many of you are ready in that way? Ooh, (laughs) going to be a busy week. Yeah. Okay, how else can we use that? Are you ready for Christmas? Do you have the house decorated, Nan? Do you have your lights up? Do you have... uh, You do. Okay, Nan's shaking her head, yes. She's got her lights up, uh, got the... Uh, that's my wife's love language. I learned about our second or third year in marriage is uh, Christmas lights. And so uh, we, uh, whew, I know, we get ready for Christmas in that way. How, how else can it be used? Are you ready for Christmas? Your frame of mind. Yeah, a frame of mind. What do we mean by that? A frame of mind. Receptive. Yeah, receptive, as Carl and Shelby did Advent. Are, have we prepared our mind and our hearts for this season? Do you find that's kind of challenging? Do you find it's of all the time of the year when things should be the simplest, as in Jesus born in a manger was very basic and simple and earthy? Do you find that, like me, you struggle with getting ready for Christmas because of all the busyness and cards you got to send out. All, all the, they're great things, but are any of you just a little bit weary and tired trying to get ready for Christmas? What if, in the time we have this morning, what if we ask God just to still our hearts and really get us ready for the wonder of this day of Christmas? And the simplicity, and the joy, and the gratitude, and that God would just, this morning, prepare us for Christ's birth, Christ's coming to this earth. Are you ready for Christmas? Well, in our shopping, my wife found a Christmas card that uh, can help us along this way. It's the top ten politically correct Christmas carols. Number ten. Oh, holiday tree. Who knows what that's supposed to be? Oh, Christmas tree. That was an easy one. Number nine, have yourself a merry little day of winter. What's that supposed to be? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Number eight, Frosty the snow person. Which is supposed to be, kids, Frosty the... It's okay to say man in here. Frosty the snowman. Number seven, chestnuts roasting on a safely contained, continuously monitor, eco-friendly, non-toxic outdoor fire for which you do have a permit. How about that one? What's that supposed to be? Chestnuts roasting on an open... Yeah. Number six, higher power, rest ye merry gentle persons. What's that supposed to be? God rest ye merry gentle men. Number five, Grandma allegedly got run over by an unidentified non-human perpetrator. 
I apologize, grandmothers in here. <laughs> Grandmother got run over by a reindeer. Four, deck the halls with boughs of unendangered foliage if office policy permits. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Okay, three, hark the herald mythical winged creature sings. What's up? That's hark the herald angels sing. Now, number two, I had to, next one here, I had to ask my wife for help. Uh, let's see if you can get this one. I saw mommy greeting Santa Claus with a purely platonic expression of inoffensive mutual affection. What's that one? What was that? I saw mommy kissing Santa. Uh, is that right? Under the mistletoe. That's right. See, I can't even get it. Okay, first one. I'll be home for a short period of time in late December. I'll be home for Christmas. Christmas. We can say that. Christmas. We can say Christ. So what is Christmas all about and how do we get ready for Christmas? In John's gospel, this was his purpose, is to proclaim to the world that Jesus Christ came and lived and died for you and me. And in the summary of his book, really the prologue in the first 18 verses, I think this is the key verse. And it gives us clarity as we ask this question, are we ready for Christmas? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, first person, John was there, we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word came to planet Earth. The Word of God. We're going to talk what this means in a moment. But Jesus Christ, at a point in time, entered planet Earth. The Creator entered the creation. Timeless eternity entered into a time continuum. The perfect took on an imperfect body. God became a man and dwelt in an earth suit and lived among us so that he could reveal God to man. That's the essence of Christmas. Big idea, Jesus Christ became a man, that's deity united with humanity, the incarnation, for the purpose of revealing God to us. In the Gospel of John, we have the author who was one of the disciples, How did he refer to himself? As the beloved disciple, or as the the disciple whom Jesus loved. Did John know Jesus? That's what I love about this book. He's writing from his own experience. John knew Jesus. And in this book, you have the synoptics of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you have John. John writing from his own personal experience. This was the man who laid on the bosom of Jesus in the upper room when they had their first communion together. And when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And the world is to know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. This is the man that saw Jesus walk on the water, perform miracles, He was there. He was there when Jesus died. He was there when Jesus was crucified. 
He was there when Jesus was resurrected. John knew Jesus. He experienced a relationship with Jesus. You have the 70 disciples. You have the 12. You have the three. James, John, and Peter. And John, the beloved disciple, knew Jesus. That's why I love this book. That's why I love reading at this time of year about who John says Jesus was and is today. He probably wrote this late. I think there's some debate as to when John wrote uh, the Gospel of John. I think he wrote this as an, as an old man. Um, church historians tell us that when Jesus called John to follow him and be his disciple, John may have been uh, in his late teens or early 20s. He was a young man. So he's writing this now as an old man, maybe 80, 90 years old, looking back and re- reminiscing on the life of Christ and his relationship with the Savior. John 1, as I mentioned, uh, 1 through 18, is, is a prologue. It's setting up the book. And he's laying out some themes that will reoccur over and over as we go through the entire gospel. Who's it written to? Let me ask it this way. Who is Matthew written to? Matthew was written to the Jews. Mark was written to Rome and uh, Jews and Gentiles. Luke was written to Gentiles. John was written to everyone. For God so loved who? The world. For God so loved the world. He is proclaiming the reality and the truth of who Jesus Christ is to the world so that the world might believe, might trust, might place their faith in Him, in Christ, and receive forgiveness of their sins and receive eternal life. That's John's purpose. That's why he's writing it. The end of his gospel, he says, But these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, eternal life, in His name. That's why he wrote the book. And this word believe occurs 98 times. It's probably the key word in the Gospel of John. 98 times, and it's always in an active verbal sense. There's no nouns. It's pistuo that we might believe, that we might take action on who the person of Christ is and believe in Him. And that by believing, by placing our faith in, by trusting, that our sins are forgiven and we have eternal life and we are adopted in His family. And we have eternal security that He will never leave us or forsake us. By believing, we have eternal life in His name, in the name of Jesus Because He's the one that conquered death. He's the one that defeated sin. He is the Son of God. So who is Jesus Christ? Looking at John chapter 1, we're going to see first of all that Jesus Christ is eternal. In John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, referring to Christ, was in the beginning with God. Does this verse sound familiar? Sound like Genesis? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think John is doing that. He's taking us back to a very basic concept. 
of a beginning. And in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God. There was a relationship between God the Father and God the Son. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The Word, Jesus, was and is God. He was not a God as the Jehovah's Witness. We had, they came by our house this week knocking on the door wanting to tell us that He was a God, that He was a created being. No, Jesus was, He is God. And John is making that very clear by His Greek usage here, that in the, in the beginning, Jesus existed, and the Word was in relationship with God the Father, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And down at the end of verse 15, we also read, says, and he, John the Baptist says, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So Jesus Christ is eternal. A literal translation of this verse is when the beginning began, the Word was already there. Jesus Christ is eternal. He is God. He is not a created being. He is not an angel. He is God who is eternal. Jesus Christ. In John 8, 58, makes this statement. And he's talking to the Jews here. Now imagine how the Jews received this. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. He's referring back to the word that was translated Yahweh, the I am that I am, that Moses saw in the burning bush when he said, Who will I say has sent me to lead the people out of Egypt? God said, Tell them, I am has sent you. The eternal, pre-existing, always existing God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And before Abraham was born, I am. And the Jews picked up stones to kill him because to them this was blasphemy. No man could say that. But Jesus was not an ordinary man. He was God. Jesus is eternal. He is also the creator. Look at verse 3. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Jesus Christ was there. He was involved in creation. Verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. Jesus is the Creator. Only God can create. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Creator. And in the Life Application Bible, in the introduction to John, we read, He spoke and galaxies whirled into place. Stars burned the heavens and planets began orbiting their suns. This is talking about Jesus. Words of awesome, unlimited, unleashing power. He spoke again and the waters and lands were filled with plants and creatures, running, swimming, growing and multiplying. Worlds of animating, breathing, pulsating life. Again he spoke, and a man and a woman were formed, thinking, speaking, and loving, words of personal and creative glory, eternal, infinite, unlimited. He was, is, and always will be the maker and Lord of all that exists. That's Jesus. He is eternal. He is the creator. He is also the source 
of spiritual life. Look at verse 4. In Him, in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. In Him was biological life in the sense that He created. It's the word zoe. We get zoology, the study of life. He was also the giver of and the source of eternal spiritual life because we were dead in our sins, born dead in our sins. But through Jesus Christ, we can receive forgiveness of sins and receive eternal life. And John picks up on this. This is a theme throughout his book in John 5.26. By the way, 36 times in John, he talks about life. For just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son to have life in Himself. John 10.10, you're familiar with this. I came that they might have life, and they might have it to the full or abundantly. John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. What does he mean by that? He's talking about eternal life, that when this physical earth suit gives out, that we will still live eternally with Jesus Christ because we have been born again and we've received new life in Christ, eternal life. John 14, 6, Christ makes it very clear after telling His disciples that He was going to go away. And they were worried about what was going to happen. And He told them He was going to go away and prepare a place for them. And Thomas says, we don't know the way. Where are you going? Maybe the greatest setup question in all of Scripture. And Jesus says, thank you, Thomas, for asking. Let me answer that for you. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. And He is the Zoe, the life. He gives us eternal life through believing in Him. And no one comes to God, holy God. No one has access to a holy God except through a relationship with the Son of God who was born that we celebrate in a manger on this Christmas day. One more, 1 John, stepping out of John here, but John also wrote 1, 2, and 3 John. And in 1 John 5, same author writes, and the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. And it doesn't get any plainer than this. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son, he who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, has the life, the eternal life. He who does not have the Son, does not have eternal life. And He said, these things I've written to those of you who believe in order that you may, what? That you may know that you have eternal life. Who is Jesus Christ? He's eternal. He's the Creator. He's the source of spiritual life. He's also the true light. And this is another theme that John picks up. And we see this throughout his book. And we see this at the end of 4. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The Jews rejected Him. The darkness did not receive Him in general. Verse 6, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not John the Apostle. This is John the Baptist. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light 
that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. We read John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And we keep reading, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment that the light is come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. So in John's book, he pictures this contrast between darkness and sin and separation from God and light and the purity and the holiness and the glory that Jesus Christ brought into the world. Have any of you ever been someplace that's perfectly, completely dark, totally black? I remember as a kid, my grandfather took us to Silver Dollar City and we went down into Marvel Cave. And in Marvel Cave, have any of y'all been to Silver Dollar City? Okay. Well, we go down into the bowels of this cave and you go out in this tunnel and then you, do you know what the guide does? He turns off all the lights. And now, you know, you go outside and it's night, and even when there's not a full moon, you just still there's some little bit of light you can see, right? But he turned off the lights, and I mean, it was inky blackness. I mean, it, there, it was scary, you know, and we were grabbing onto somebody next to us, and uh, I mean, it was black, it was dark. And then he flicked on this little pin light, just flipped it on, and all of a sudden, this little cavern we're in, just lit up because the light overcomes darkness. And that's what Jesus has done. He came and he lived a life and he is the light of the world that overcomes the darkness and the brokenness of humanity. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the true light. Jesus is also our Savior Look down in verse 12. Uh, Pick up in verse 10. He was in the world. The people that saw him and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own. He came to the Jews. He came to Israel. And those who were his own did not receive him. So we're setting this up. His own people in, in a large part rejected him. But, verse 12 in contrast, but as many as received him... By that, it's kind of the flip side of faith, meaning trusted in Him and received His free gift of eternal life. As many as received Him, to them He gave the right or the authority to become children of God and part of God's family and to be born again and to be adopted and to be justified and declared righteous, to become children of God even to those who, and here this key word is, believe in His name. So how do we become part of God's family? How do we receive forgiveness of our sins? How do we know with 100% certainty that we're going to heaven and we'll spend eternity with God? We receive His free gift of salvation that's made available through the person of Christ by trusting, by believing, by having faith in and receiving that gift. And then he breathes life into us. 
and we're born again, and we become one of His very own. He becomes our Savior and saves us from being separated from God and being judged and and having the, the payment, the penalty of our sin fall on us. He is our Savior. Verse 13, who were born not of, and this is what happens, we were born, those who believe in His name were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We're born again. Who is Jesus Christ? He's our Savior. He's God in an earth suit. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. John shifts his grammar to first person, and he begins talking now about what it was like and how he saw the glory of God and experienced God in an earth suit. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Picking up on this concept in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and lived or tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John saw His glory. He experienced Christ. This is called the incarnation. The incarnation. It's not a flower you put on your lapel. It's not a dry milk product. The incarnation is when God becomes man. 100% God, 100% man. Incarnate is Latin for in the flesh, Christ in a body. The incarnation is the union of God and man in the person of Jesus Christ. God didn't just appear like a man, He became one. The incarnation, 100% God, 100% man, deity and humanity united. God in an earth suit. The Word became flesh. The Word is a Greek concept, the logos. It is used by Plato and other philosophers to express the central principle of the universe, the spirit that was over all the world, the ultimate reason that controlled things. And so what John is saying, and he melds this Greek concept and the Hebrew concept together, he's saying this concept is Jesus and that Jesus Christ was in the beginning. He was with God and He is God. And the, the Hebrew self-assertion of the divine personality from Psalm 33, 6 by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of His mouth. And this is the creative power of God, and He expressed it through His Son. And again, John unites these concepts by using the word, and the word, the logos, the word became flesh, became carne. You ever have chili con carne, chili with meat? Okay, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacled is the word. Pitched his tent among us and lived at a real point in time with us, among us, or could be translated in us as we receive salvation. And we, John said, have seen his glory. First person plural. John was there. John saw the glory of Jesus Christ and how he lived his life and his miracles and had a relationship with Him. And He says, we have seen, we have experienced His glory, the set-apart whiteness of the nature of God expressed through 
His Son, Jesus. Glory as of the unique, the only begotten. In other words, the one and only. There was only one God from the Father, and He's full of grace and truth. So Jesus is God in an earth suit. Hark the herald angels sing. I love the second verse. Listen to how John Wesley expresses this concept of Almighty God becoming a man. Christ the highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold Him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, Jesus, from Yahshua, one who saved. Jesus, our Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. So hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Praise God. God became a man to reveal himself to us. C.S. Lewis writes that the first Christmas, the Son of God became the Son of Man, that sons of men might become sons of God. It's a great way to sum up John 1.14. Who is Jesus Christ? He's our Savior. He's God in an earth suit. He also explained and is continuing to explain. He is explaining God. Verse 18, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He, referring to Jesus, has explained Him. Jesus explained God. It's the Greek word exegete. When we exegete a passage of Scripture, what are we doing? We're explaining the details. We're narrating the truths of what is happening in the text. And Jesus explained God. He revealed God, divine revelation, so that we can know and enter into a relationship with a holy God. Jesus explained God. This is from a Christmas card. There are many men who would be God, but only one God who would be man. And that's the person, Jesus Christ. So who did Jesus claim to be in John's gospel? The seven I am's. Jesus from his own words, said, I am, first of all, the bread of life. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. This was in a discussion with the Pharisees, and there was an argument about what was taking place, and Jesus was revealing to them who he was, and um, that he is the bread of life. And whoever believes in him, will receive eternal life. They'll never hunger again, and they will never thirst, because He is the, the living water. He is the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus also said, I am the door. And here, this is in the context of Jesus teaching about the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And He is the door. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. He is the way of salvation. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for 
for the sheep. Jesus died on a cross at a real point in time in our place so that we, through believing in Him, can experience eternal life and receive a relationship with the Holy God. Jesus also said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And last, Jesus said, I am the true vine. Israel had been called the vine. He said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And in John 15, who are we? Who are his followers? Who are those who believe in him? We're the branches who now have been grafted in the vine, and we are to abide in the vine and draw from his life source in how we live our lives. Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready? That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ who came and lived a life and died for you and me. Jesus came to reveal God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He is eternal? And He's our Creator. And He's the light of the world. Do you believe that? That Jesus is God's Son. That's the central essence of Christmas. And that He came for you and me. came for the world. But to individualize it, He came for me and you. So that my sins can be forgiven. And I can know God through Him. I love Eugene Peterson, how he writes this in the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. Ross, would you come up? Father, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to gather together and to be reminded from your word of the reality of Jesus Christ and who he is. We confess any sin of busyness, of frustration, of being sidetracked, of um, not having our focus where it should be. And right now as your followers, Lord, we don't want anything to hinder us seeing Jesus And so we enter into a time of possible confession and repentance where we ask you to forgive us for any ways we have strayed, any any sins that we may have committed, any any things we have done or said that may have broken fellowship with you, a holy God. We ask, Father, that over the course of this week, as we interact with family and friends who do not know you, let us, as you instruct us to be, you are the light of the world, but you tell us we're to be lights of the world. You are the light. We're to be lights. Lord, we pray for opportunities to share your love with those around us, neighbors, 
family members, friends. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, thank you that your word tells us we must become as a child and just simply believe and to trust. Lord, I pray that as we close right now in the quietness of their heart, they will believe Jesus. And what we've talked about this morning, that you are the Son of God and that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that through believing, they can receive forgiveness of their sins, eternity secured, and relationship with the Holy God. We love you. And now as a family, your church, we want to proclaim the joy that's in our heart from the reality of knowing that we are yours. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We stand. Joy to the world, the Lord is.